just the other day. Now, I'm 41 years old, and it occurred to me just the other day that there are going to be people in heaven that had no clue about Baptist anything. You know, it's sort of like the old joke, right? And you've all heard the, the joke about, you know, the, the good Baptist gets to, uh, uh, to heaven, and, and, and he goes up there, and he, he, he's, he's walking around, and all of this party's going on over next to him. And, and, and he said, uh, um, what's going on over there? And, and the joke, you can, you can add your own denomination at this point, because I've heard it for every denomination. Well, St. Peter says, don't, don't disturb them, they being another denomination, think they're the only ones up here. And I've heard it, I've heard it against Baptists too, because I think a lot of times we get so tied into our denominationalism, people say, you know, what religion are you? And they say, Baptist? Or Methodist? Or, or Catholic? Or, what religion are you? Well, I'm a Christian. You know? And, and, and that's who I am. And, and it, it, it impresses me this morning. God has impressed on me that as we drove up from Duluth, that His work is being completed all over the world in the name of Jesus Christ alone. With no denomination attached to it. Well, uh, I want to bring you a, a message this, word, uh, this morning from uh, the Old Testament of the Bible. You may you know, have some familiarity with the, the Bible enough to know that it's broken into to two parts. One, the, one part is, um, if you substitute the word testimony for testament, it makes a little more sense. It's the, um, the, the former testimony of God's love for humanity. And then, starting in the book of Matthew, it breaks into this newest testimony of God's love for humanity. And, and, and people think that the Old Testament, you know, they, I hear people talk about the God of the Old Testament. That the God of the Old Testament's a wrathful and angry God. And the God of the New Testament, He's chilled out. Right? Through Jesus Christ, His Son, He's just like, He's gotten all graceful and peaceful. But if you understand the Bible as a story, you understand something, and this could be revolutionary to you. It's the same God. It's the same God. And, and, and here's what I, I've learned. To, to look at the Bible as a story, I find that the same graceful God that we attribute to the New Testament through Jesus Christ was maybe even more graceful in the Old Testament when you look at the failure of the people that He loved and sought to redeem. Over thousands of years, He tried to redeem them to the point that Jesus Christ was sent and then came the new testimony of God's love for His people. Well, part of that story is in the book of 1 Samuel. Now, the, the, the story of the Old Testament, some of you may know, is that, that God you know, created Adam and Eve and created humanity. And, and, and they, they fell from, from, uh, from perfection, as God intended, perfect relationship. And, and then uh, they, they uh, had... God provided for them in a graceful way. And then a, a nation arose out of the, from the flood. The Bible talks about a flood. And from there, a nation, a guy named Abram, uh, came out. And, uh, he, and God promised through Abram, or later to become Abraham, father of many nations, it says that, that he uh, would be 
the beginning of this new Israel, this new kingdom. He was the father of that. And so uh, from there, you may or may not know that, that, um, that the nation of Israel ended up in bondage in Egypt and God delivered them through a guy named Moses. And they went out and they, they crossed over into what the Bible calls the promised land through a guy named Joshua, a general of Moses. They crossed over into the promised land. And, and God, in his infinite love for them, set up a system to follow him. And the way that he set that up were through some guys, through some, some priests and prophets and judges. And one of those judges was a guy named Samuel. And in the Bible, there's, a, there's two books, First and Second Samuel, that talks about uh, what was going on when Samuel was the judge and priest and prophet of Israel. And in the 13th chapter of the first book, we are inside of a story... Where previous to this, God had used Samuel, God, the, 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 the high priest, you know, the king of the nation of Israel, God used Samuel to defeat the nemesis, the great enemy. Watch any cartoon and you know that every good guy has a bad guy. You know, it's, the, it's their, their infinite forever enemy. It just, they just can't go away. You know, my most recent one was watching the uh, movie Fantastic Four, and I saw the second one. And the bad guy that was the bad guy sort of started to get redeemed as the good guy, and then all of a sudden, guess what happened? The, the bad guy came out in him again, and he became the nemesis once again that would lead us to a third Fantastic Four. And so uh, it, there's always a bad guy. And for Israel, in the story, the great story, the, 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 the nemesis of Israel was the Philistines. You've heard that story about, about David and Goliath. Goliath was the nine and a half foot tall Philistine that just mocked the nation of Israel. You know, on average, they were about five foot four, five foot five. And this guy was nine and a half feet tall, almost double their size. And so, here we are, squaring this, this story of a guy named Samuel. Now, here's the interesting thing. Before, uh, before a guy named Saul comes on the scene, he was the first king of Israel, Samuel and God together made the whole nation happen. It was Samuel who looked to God. God spoke to Samuel, and Samuel spoke to the people. And, 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 and I didn't know this before I began studying this, but the Bible records a great military victory through Samuel. Just, he was just a judge. He was just the, the guy, the mouthpiece. But the Bible records that through God's power in, in this, in this um, uh, conflict, God used thunder like he did at about 7 o'clock uh, this morning at my house. I don't know about your house, but I was sitting there with my first cup of coffee and, and, and I saw a flash. And you know it's bad when that flash and that boom come at the same time. You know it's close. And that's what happened. It shook our house. And the Bible records that, that, that there was such a thunder like none had ever heard before that the Philistines, the nemesis of Israel, began killing each other. It confused them and just sort of blew them up. And they began killing each other. And basically the story is that Samuel and the nation of Israel just sort of wiped them up as they went along. 
great, great, great victory over the nemesis, uh, Philistines, and the Bible records that because of that, because of God's great mercy and, and might, that the nation of Israel recaptured or gained back all of the land and cities that belonged to them. Now, here we are in, ver- in chapter 13 of Samuel, and it talks about now the nation, as, so- as Samuel is beginning to fail in health, they begin to get nervous. I wonder if there's anybody in here like me that is, uh, finds yourself as things start to sort of fall apart, seem to sort of, you can sort of see it on the horizon, you begin to get nervous about what God is up to. I don't know if you're like me, but I just, this is what's happening in the nation of Israel. And they, they start to sort of fall apart. And I say, Samuel, we see that you're getting old. Your sons are wicked. They're not doing it like you. We want a king. And that's where Saul comes on. Well, there were some problems with Saul. Saul was the most handsome. He was the best-looking guy. Samuel loved Saul. And Saul, here, here was the deal with Saul. In a nutshell, this was the deal. Saul loved Samuel, who loved God. Okay, I want you to get that picture. Saul loved Samuel, who loved God. Let me bring that down for you. As a teenager, I loved my mom and dad who loved God. And when I went on to my own, my relationship with my parents who had a relationship with God did not sustain me in the difficult times. You have to have a relationship, a love relationship with God, not with those who have a relationship with God because it won't sustain you. Here's something worth writing down if you were to write something down. If you don't own it, You're not prepared to finish it. Let me bring it down even further. If you are part of this community that's gathering and gaining steam here, this this faith community of Cornerstone, if you don't own it here, you're not going to be prepared to finish it here. You've got to own the vision in order to finish the vision. Saul, unfortunately, didn't own Samuel's vision because he didn't know Samuel's God. He knew Samuel, who knew God. But the Bible records over and over in relationship that Saul would would, uh, refer to Samuel's God as your God. I want to worship your God. I want you to, you, you to forgive me, Samuel, not I want God to forgive me, Samuel. He was trying to impress someone who knew God. Now, I, I tell you, I've got this, uh, I was in New Orleans um, one time, and, and I, I was going down there for a, a class. And I was going down there, and, uh, and, and I found myself late. It's about an eight-hour drive from Atlanta for me, and when you're by yourself and you, you can, you know, uh, race right through. And uh, my class was at 1 o'clock, and I had to be there because the professor uh, only gave you a certain amount of uh, minutes to turn in all of the work that you were supposed to have done prior to getting there. And so I knew that that time was about 1.30, but I wanted to get there right on time. And unfortunately, I was flying in low in my car, flying low into to, to New Orleans, and it was about a quarter till one, and I was checking, getting ready to check into the hotel, and 
I had not eaten. I'd, I'd skipped breakfast and, and skipped lunch. I was just going to grab something on the, on the fly. And uh, right next to uh, the, the, the school was a Popeye's restaurant. Now, Popeye's anywhere else is okay and, and really probably pretty good. But Popeye's in New Orleans takes on a whole new flavor. Um, the Popeye's in New Orleans is wonderful. And this one right by the uh, school in a sort of a sketchy area of town is exceptionally good. And I knew that. And I was going to zip through the, the line in the drive-thru. And I got in line. And I was just one person behind the speaker. So I thought, oh, this is good. And it's right around lunchtime. I'm in good shape here. Well, five minutes went by. And the clock is ticking. And I'm going... Well, okay, and then the guy moved. And so I, I, I was fully committed at this point because I got up to the speaker. And the, the lady says, hey, welcome to Popeye's. How can I help you? And I said, I'm looking down the thing. And I said, I, I would like a, a bowl of crawfish etouffee, you know, and a drink. And she goes, you're just going to have to wait a minute. Well, didn't she just ask me if she could help me? Okay, so, you know, I, she says, can I help you? I say, I want, you know, crawfish etouffee. And then she sort of screams at me and says, you're just going to have to wait a minute. I said, oh, well, this is interesting. So I wait and I wait and I wait. So I order again. And she says, that'll be $6.13. And I said, well, okay. So I pulled up. And when I got around the corner, oh, you know what happened? There was like three cars waiting. And, I, and there's a car right behind me. And now there's a curb to my right and a building to my left. And, I mean, I'm in there. And, I mean, it's like five minutes to... To uh, one. And so I just set my watch. I thought, this is going to be too good. This is going to be worth remembering, as you can see. Um, well, a full 19 minutes later, it's four after five, I mean, four after one, four minutes after one, I get to the, to the window, and she hands me my bag, and she says, that will be $6.40. I thought to myself, well, maybe a new tax rate has gone into effect since I ordered. Because it was like 613 at the speaker. And I said, well, what's up? And she says, well, nothing. It's $6.40. And so I paid her the $6.40, starting to get a little frazzled here. And, and uh, as I'm driving off, it, it occurs to me I should check my order. But I, was, I had pulled up one full car length, and you know the guy behind me had zipped in behind me. And I look at my bag, and it says shrimp and rice. I have waited 19-plus minutes to, to get the wrong order. So I was frustrated, and I ran to the hotel, and I decided, well, I'm just going to you know, shove it down the gullet, and I'm just going to go on. And I, I rip into my bag in my room, getting ready to eat my shrimp and rice, which I had hoped to be crawfish etouffee. And, and, and I look, not only is there not a napkin, there's not a fork. So, being, you know, MacGyver-like, I went into my bathroom and I got a cup. And I got a pair of scissors on my Swiss Army knife and I cut myself a shovel out of my little plastic cup. And I took that bowl and I just sat there, you know, and just like this. You know, that was my thought, what I was going to do. But as I peeled open the top, what do you think I found? Crawfish etouffee. And I thought to myself... You know, if I was a smart man, I wouldn't eat this. Right? If I was a smart man, there has not been anything to go right yet. 
But I decided hunger overtook me, as it normally does about every two hours. And, uh, and I just started eating. And guess what I found? I found it was the best crawfish etouffee I had ever had. And as I was eating this meal, it occurred to me this thought. Why was that so hard? I, I called the 1-800 Popeye's number for customer service, and I, and I, and I told them, I said, first got to tell you, it was the best meal I think I've ever had. But can I share with you what it took for me to get your food? And I shared with them the whole deal, and, and the Holy Spirit began to reveal to me this thought. Listen to this. We have got the greatest offering in all of history. But why do we make it so difficult to receive? We have the good stuff. We have the best stuff. In relationship with Christ Jesus, we have the, 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 the greatest expression of God ever. Yet, it seems like churches make it so difficult to receive it. And I don't understand why that is. Except, as I began reading about Saul, I began to understand for me that there was one main issue that keeps me from being that offering to others. And you know what it is? It's the same with me as it was with Saul. Because in, 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 in chapter 13 of Samuel, here's, here's, the, here's the situation, starting in verse 1. The situation is this. Remember that Samuel had already had great victory. Now Saul is the king, much to the dismay of Samuel and God. Saul is the king, and, and God instructs Saul to go out on a campaign. Saul, knowing the deal, knows that God, this God of Samuel has to be in charge. So he knows that a sacrifice has to be made. Samuel, apparently, some unwritten something was supposed to be there in a certain number of days, and he doesn't show up. So what does Saul do? As his men begin to disperse and lose faith in him, Saul does the, I was going to say unthinkable, but I think he does the natural. I think he does what all of us would have at least considered doing. He took it on himself to offer the priestly offering before he went out on this campaign. And at that moment, like my father and mother always did, Samuel showed up and said, Saul, what are you doing? He's like, hey, Samuel, wow, great to see you. You're a little late. I've already done this. No need to panic. We're on our way. He says, Saul, you've acted foolishly. Why did you do that? And listen to this. Here's the natural part. Saul said, because my men were leaving me. And here's the implication. I saw myself losing my kingdom, and I'm more interested in success than I am obedience. Now, here's something to write down if you were writing something down. I give my wife credit for this statement, but she gives credit to a friend of ours. Listen, it is not your job to be successful. It is only your job to be obedient. The reason we struggle to give people the good stuff is we are more concerned about our success than being obedient to the one and only true God. 
And I believe that. You know how, why I believe that? Because I live it. I struggle with how people, uh, I feel like people may feel about me. I struggle with the thought that I personally may be rejected. You know what my core fear is? Failure. You know what my other core fear is? Being found out as a hypocrite. Those two core fears are what rule most of my decisions. I try to create a protective layer around those core fears so that no one can come in and push those buttons. Because when someone pushes those buttons, the 30-second countdown to meltdown begins. You know, bam, 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 meltdown in 30 seconds. You know, when someone pushes those core fears, it, those, those two buttons when pushed, have caused me to make some drastically disastrous choices. Because I was so afraid that people may find those. And this, I think, is what Saul was dealing with. And this is what I think keeps us from sharing the good stuff. I go into Sam's down at Pleasant Hill periodically, and there's an older fellow that's down there, and he wears off-white, and he works in the bakery. And, and, you know, have you ever had those chocolate cream puffs from Sam's? You know, you put them in the freezer or refrigerator and they're cold and you bite into them like an eclair almost. And he periodically will get those out for testing. And so, you know, I go every day to see if he does. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but when he gets them out, he always says the same thing. I've got the good stuff. The good stuff is over here. And you can hear them from all of Sam's. And when, when he says that, it's like little turkeys peek up over logs. You see people's heads pop up and they begin to migrate because he's got the good stuff. And he's not afraid to share it. Because he knows, he knows that it's not about him, it's about the product. You see, it wasn't a marketing error. On, on, uh, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a product error on Popeye's part. It was a distribution and marketing error. It wasn't that the product was bad. The product was incredible. It was just the distribution process was a failure. And I believe that's what's happened in the church of today. I believe that's what happens in my life when God calls me into a situation and I go, You know, God, what's that going to do for me? How is that going to make me look if I get involved in that, surely there's some more beautiful people I can minister to. I have a friend of mine, and I call him a friend. He is a friend. And we used to work out together, and he'd say, You know, I noticed that all of the ministries are to the poor and oppressed. Who is ministering to the beautiful people in the hot tubs? I think I'm going to start a hot tub ministry. And in, the, in our heart of hearts, can I speak into you for just a second, not really knowing you? Doesn't that appeal to us more? People that can bring us up rather than people that bring our average down? Let me say it again. It's not your job to be successful. It's only your job to be obedient. When God reaches into your life and shows you an opportunity, it's not your job to figure out how. It's not your job to figure out what will be the, the, the consequences. Because here's something else worth writing down. If God has called you and you're obedient to that call, He has already taken responsibility for all of the consequences related to your call and obedience thereunto. 
It's worth remembering that if you are being obedient, God has already taken responsibility for all of the consequences related to that call. And so, in the moments I have left with you today, I want you to consider this thought. Would you relax? Church, would you relax? And quit trying to be God and let God be God. And here's what I mean by that. I don't know about you. If you were the guy that was always picked last in kickball or girl, I was, I was at least bottom five. I'm going to get a t-shirt or make up a band called Bottom Five. And that was me. I was always at least bottom five, if not last, until something happened and I got dedicated and, and you know, some good things happened after that. But I was always that bottom five kid. It was like, you know, and especially if my brother was the captain of the team, you know, he was like, not only would he make sure that he didn't pick me, he somehow, you know, blew it up for the other team's captain. Said, you don't need to pick Brian either, you know. You know I'm not going to pick him, but you don't need to pick him, you know. And I was always last, it seemed like. And I want you to relax in this thought. God is rooting for you. He's rooting for you. If you have your Bible and, and in the new testimony of God's love for you, in Ephesians chapter 2, I'd like to read this to you. It's, I, I think it's something that you need to understand in, in, in the concept of relaxing and letting God be God and letting Him take responsibility for all the consequences related to your obedience. Listen to this, if I can get there. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, Starting in verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. All right, let me break that down for you for just a second. Here's what it means is we're born into sin and our sinful nature is hated by a holy God. Brian, how is that going to help me relax? <laughs> well, see, because this is what I think drives us to be more interested in success than obedience. Because we're afraid of the wrathful God. All right? But listen, keep going. It says in verse 4, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order... Now check this out. In order that in the coming ages He might show His incomparable riches of grace expressed in His kindness to us. Now, let me break that down for you. Here's what it means. It means that through your obedience, God is going to bring people to Himself. You become His trophies. He says, listen, you were dead. I've made you alive in Christ, and I've seated you with Him in the heavenly realms so that in the coming age, others may be drawn to Me through you. Brian is going to be a trophy. He's going to be a conduit for Me. Because I'm going to raise you up and you're going to take understanding with this thought. It's not your job to be successful. It's your job to be obedient. And when you do that, others are going to go whoosh right through you and up to God. That is an amazing thought, but that's not all. 
For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And listen to this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has prepared for His success in you. He's already done. Relax. And not only is He rooting for you, He's chosen you. Bottom five guys and girls... He's chosen you. John 15, 16 says this, You did not choose me, but I have chosen you. And I have chosen you to go and do good works for me. God has chosen us. He loves us. He, he, let, 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 one more thing and we'll be done. Obedience is our job. Not being successful. And we need to relax that God has chosen us, that He's rooting for us. You say, but Brian, I still feel unworthy. I still feel shameful. I still feel full of guilt. I can't serve God when I feel this way. Can I speak into your heart one more thought? In John chapter 15, verse 3, listen to this. Jesus Christ says, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken into you. Guys, here's, here's my point. Forgiveness is for eternity. It's not a day-by-day thing. It's not like Jesus and God are up there going, holy cow, would you look at the sin that's happening in Georgia today. We've got to create some more forgiveness for that. You know, like Rumpelstiltskin just spinning gold, just, you know, just that, that flight of the bumblebees is up there in heaven going, no, 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 And it's not like that because once Jesus died on the cross, it was forever that He has forgiven us. And He says to His disciples that you are already clean because of the Word I've spoken into you. Relax. I've chosen you. I'm rooting for you. You are clean. Now go be obedient and leave the success to Me. We've got the good stuff. Now let's don't make it so hard to receive. Let's offer authentic community and genuine friendship, even with those that bring our average down. Can we pray with you? Father, thank you for your love, your intense love. But God in His infinite mercy rich in grace, has made us alive in Christ Jesus. Like Saul, Father, I find myself seeing the battle raged around me and seeing my men falling weak. And I see myself doing the natural thing and trying to be successful. And so I go to you, Father, and say, hey, look what I've done. God for you. And God, you say it to me and I hear it. Why'd you do that? It's my job. You don't, have to, you don't have to bring false sacrifice to me. Just be obedient to me. You don't have to pay me off. I've already paid it for you. Relax, Brian. Relax, Cornerstone. Relax. Success is my business. Obedience is your business. I chose you. <laughs> I love you. I've made you clean. Would you receive that today, church? Would you receive that today into your heart that I am clean 
because of the Word of God spoken into me. If you're in here today and you've received that forgiveness of life into your heart, you've received that, you know what I'm talking about. But if you're in here today like I was as a 22-year-old man, and I, I, when people would talk about being forgiven and being clean, I, I had no concept. If you're in here today and you have no concept of that, can I share with you there's hope? The hope is in the relationship with Jesus Christ that He has offered to us. Once you are dead in your transgressions, you may feel that way this morning. But because of God's great love for you, He has offered you to be alive in Him, the only one that can forgive you. Would you receive that today? It's your choice. I'm not going to make you do anything. But if you feel God is calling you to that, would you be obedient and leave the success? Say, Brian, I've got too much. I've got too much. I, I, you wouldn't even believe what I watched on the computer this week. You wouldn't believe how I treated my wife or my child this week. You wouldn't believe the badness in me. Oh, yeah, I would. I am that guy. But here's the deal. I'm forgiven. I am forgiven. And in Christ, my walk is toward obedience and cleansing. Join me, would you? Would you join me in relaxing so that the good stuff can get out there to Brazelton and Hushton and North Gwinnett and South Hall? And Father, we just ask in Jesus' name that this is the lighthouse that you would use, Father. Among many, but this one would be the one where people would say, Golly! They are so relaxed over there. They offer me genuine friendship. I don't have to have the same politics as them, and I don't have to have the, the same thoughts as them. And, but you know what? They love me. In my brokenness, in my hurt, they love me. God, that's because you do. You chose us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the worship this morning and the words you've spoken into my heart and what you've shared with me that I must do in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.